This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 95 entitled, Is Matthew 2819 Corrupted Scripture? The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God, and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I am your host. If this is your first time to the podcast, I want to personally welcome you and encourage you to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you are a regular listener to the podcast, thank you so much for supporting the show. Among biblical Unitarians... The interpretation of Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 is a hot topic issue. I've met a few people over the years who have insisted that this verse, with its reference to baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is textually corrupt and is not what Matthew originally penned in his gospel account. I was unaware until recently how widely held the skepticism regarding the reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 is. Is it legitimate or is it a corruption? So in order to find out, I created an online poll in a popular biblical Unitarian form, and I learned that the majority of those participating in the poll we're absolutely convinced that Matthew 28:19 was corrupted at some point in the transmission of the manuscript copying. The argument is regularly set forth that the book of Acts depicts baptism, quote, in the name of Jesus, end quote, while Matthew 28:19 records it as in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, end quote creating an apparent contradiction. If Jesus in Matthew truly commanded baptism to be in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, why do we not find a single instance of obedience to that command in the rest of the New Testament? It is argued by these skeptics. Furthermore, Eusebius references the baptismal command over a dozen times in his works, dated to the 4th century. And Eusebius also cites Jesus as saying to make disciples, baptizing them in my name. Is Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, in its reference to the baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, truly original to the Gospel of Matthew? Or was it corrupted by Trinitarian scribes? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Before we look at three pieces of data pertinent to our study, I wanted to define a few terms that I will use repeatedly in this episode. At times, I'll refer to the long reading of Matthew 28, 19, And by the long reading, I mean the reference to baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I will also refer to the shorter reading 
as depicted in the book of Acts. The book of Acts portrays baptism as follows. In Acts 2.38, it says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So there's baptism there, in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 8, verse 16, it says, They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there we have, in the name of the Lord Jesus. But also we can have just a casual reference to baptism, like in Acts 22, verse 16, where the command is to get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. As you can see, the book of Acts records the shorter reading and never records baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, even the book of Acts has slightly different ways of depicting Christian baptism. Some verses are in the name of Jesus Christ. Others are in the name of the Lord Jesus. And still others are even more general, offering no specificity or formula. So while I will refer to the short reading to indicate baptism into Jesus, rather than the longer Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it needs to be admitted that even the book of Acts is not uniform in how it depicts baptism, choosing to modulate its descriptions in a manner that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, was apparently comfortable putting into a single document. Okay, let's look at the evidence pertinent to our study. Our first point today, we'll be looking at the manuscript evidence of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at the manuscript evidence, the Greek manuscript evidence for Matthew's Gospel. It is sometimes argued that the earliest manuscripts that we have of Matthew's Gospel are dated to the 4th century A.D. Combined with this assertion is the commonly made insistence that the manuscripts of Matthew were changed in the 4th century due to the theological pressure of Trinitarians in light of the church councils, perhaps even the Council of Nicaea in 325. Is it true that the earliest manuscripts of Matthew that have survived can only be dated as early as the 4th century? The answer is actually no. There are at least seven manuscripts of Matthew that have been dated to the 2nd century, and several more that are dated to the 3rd century, just because the earliest Codex, Codex Sinaiticus, is dated to the 4th century. This does not mean that there are no earlier manuscripts of Matthew from the 2nd and 3rd centuries. For those who want more info on these 2nd and 3rd century manuscripts of Matthew, I would highly recommend the manuscript pictures printed in the book, New Documents Illustrating Early Christianity, Volume 2, which was actually published in 1977, so it's over 40 years old. And I would also encourage looking at the article called The Early Reception of Matthew's Gospel in David Ani's book, The Gospel of Matthew in Current Study. So in these 2nd and 3rd century manuscripts of Matthew, there is 
no evidence for the shorter reading, that is, of baptism in Jesus' name in regard to Matthew 28.19. Our passage, Matthew 28.19, always appears in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in these early manuscripts. So any theory that Trinitarian scribes change the manuscripts in the 4th century to include the reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot be true based on the evidence of the 2nd and 3rd century Matthew manuscripts. Our second point today will be looking at the Didache and Matthew 28:19. What sort of evidence do we have from early Christians, those living in the second century, regarding the original reading of Matthew 28, verse 19? For this question, we actually have a lot of solid evidence. The most important testimony to the early reading of Matthew 28:19 comes from the work called the Didache. The Didache has been dated between the years 100 and 120, and some scholars even dated earlier, that is, at the end of the first century. The modern consensus of scholars who study the Didache in detail has concluded that the work was heavily influenced by the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, many of the verses alluded to in the Didache are direct quotations from the Greek text of Matthew as we have it today. This is significant because there may only be a 20-year difference between the writing of Matthew and the subsequent work, the Didache, and at most, a generation between the two documents. Furthermore, scholars think that both Matthew and the Didache were written in the same geographical region, within Syria, perhaps even in Antioch. In regard to our study, the Didache cites Matthew 28, verse 19, in Didache chapter 7 and verse 1, which is a chapter detailing how water baptism is supposed to be practiced. I'm going to read this passage from Didache chapter 7 and verse 1. It says, but with respect to baptism, baptize as follows. Having said all these things in advance, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in running water. That's Didache chapter 7 and verse 1. What is important to note for this citation is that the Greek phrase translated in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is a verbatim quote of the Greek of Matthew 28:19, down to the very letter. Interested listeners can check this for themselves in the Loeb Classical Library translation of the Didache, which was published in 2003. However, the Didache has more to say about the baptism in question. Two chapters later, in Didache chapter 9, the document gives instructions on the Eucharist meal. In doing so, it mentions Christian baptism. Here's what the passage has to say. Didache chapter 9 and verse 5. But let no one eat or drink 
from your Thanksgiving meal unless they have been baptized in the name of the Lord. For also the Lord has said about this, do not give what is holy to dogs. That's Didache chapter 9 and verse 5. So here we have the shorter reading, which appears to be more of a summary statement for Christian baptism. The former reference in Didache chapter 7 is a chapter dedicated to baptism, offering detailed instructions on what to say and what kind of water to use. The chapter on the Eucharist meal is not giving detailed instructions on baptism, so its shorthand summary of baptism, quote, in the name of the Lord, end quote, is aptly stated. The point of all this is that the Didache produces the long quotation of Matthew 28:19 with the reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it offers the shortened summary in the name of the Lord. They were not viewed as contradictory statements in need of harmonization. And this poses an interesting solution to the potential two readings in Scripture, one with the longer quote from Jesus himself in Matthew 20:19, and the shorter summary in the book of Acts. And I, of course, need to remind our listeners that the speeches in the book of Acts are summaries. They are not verbatim retellings on the part of its author, Luke. Again, the speeches in the book of Acts are summaries. They're not what a tape recorder would have recorded had someone with a tape recorder been there during those sermons and speeches. They are shortened summaries. The Didache was comfortable with both expressions of the baptism, but the longer reading is a direct quotation from the Greek of Matthew 28, verse 19, as it is printed in our manuscripts. And thus, the Didache is an important witness to the earliest form of Matthew chapter 28. Our third point today is looking at Eusebius's citations of Matthew 28 and verse 19. It is often argued that Eusebius, the 4th century pastor and historian of church history, cites the authentically original shorter reading of Matthew 28 verse 19 throughout his writings. It is true that Eusebius repeatedly, on over a dozen occasions, cites the abbreviated baptismal reading. Let me give you one example from his writings. This comes out of his work, The Ecclesiastical History, Book 3, Chapter 5, and Verse 2, where he says, Go and make disciples of all the nations in my name. They're, of course, using the short reading. This is actually a common way that Eusebius refers to Scripture by loosely referring to a passage and even abbreviating it on occasion. Of course, we're not going to have any passage in Scripture where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations in my name. You can read through Eusebius's church history and you will observe this tendency for yourself, the tendency for Eusebius to quite regularly abbreviate 
and loosely refer to passages of Scripture, as if he is citing them off the top of his head or just giving a loose summary. Eusebius also, to the surprise of some, cites the full version of Matthew 28:19 with the reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his letter to Caesarea. So in Eusebius' letter to Caesarea, this is what he says. Believing each of these to be and to exist, the Father truly Father, and the Son truly Son, and the Holy Spirit truly Holy Spirit, as also our Lord, sending forth his disciples for the preaching, said, Go, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That again is Eusebius's letter to Caesarea. So, like the New Testament and the Didache, Eusebius is capable of citing both the longer version that we have recorded in Matthew 28, verse 19, referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the shorter summary statement variously recorded in the book of Acts. For Eusebius, there does not appear to be a contradiction in these. One is the quote from Jesus himself, and the other is a summary of Christian baptism that was never intended to be understood as a verbatim quote from Matthew 28, verse 19, in light of Eusebius's tendency to loosely refer to Scripture. Our fourth point today will be looking at modern scholarship on Matthew 28, verse 19. I also wanted to settle this commonly made insistence that biblical Unitarians can't trust modern scholarship because it is argued all scholars subscribe to the dogma of Trinitarianism and are therefore biased in their reporting of the facts. This sort of characterization of modern scholarship is quite rampant among internet theologians. And I am noticing a trend that those who make such a claim have never attended a graduate divinity school or seminary. I can personally attest that many of my professors have admitted to me that the Trinity is not taught in Scripture. And this admission was said to me in graduate programs at three different theological institutions, some which would be considered to be conservative theological schools. Be that as it may, I wanted to report what modern scholars actually do say in regard to Matthew 28 and verse 19. You might be surprised at how honest they are on the meaning of the tripartite baptismal reference. So I'm going to look at some modern commentaries on the Gospel of Matthew. In Davies and Allison's commentary in the International Critical Commentary on Matthew chapters 19 through 28, they say, quote, We see no developed Trinitarianism in the first gospel. End quote. You can find that on page 686. John Noland, in the New International Greek Testament commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, says, quote, Are we to think of them as sharing one name? The use of the singular, the name, 
could mean that, and it would mean that, if allusion to the divine name were intended. But there is clearly no allusion to the divine name. End quote. Nolan says that on page 1268. Ben Witherington III says in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew in the Smith and Helwes Bible Commentary, quote, There is no full-blown Trinitarian theology in the first century A.D. Witherington continues and says, The term theos never means the Trinity in the New Testament, end quote. Witherington says that on page 535. And Eugene Boring says in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, Volume 8, quote, Like the rest of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew has no developed doctrine of the Trinity. Eugene Boring goes on and says, He attempts no speculative, discursive explanation of how or whether the Son and the Spirit are co-eternal with the Father. He continues by saying, The essential point is that the one encountered in Jesus as the Son of God and in the Spirit-led Church as the people of God is not some subordinate deity, but the one true God. End quote. That's Eugene Boring's Commentary on the Gospel of Matthew in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, Volume 8, page 504. So there you have it. That's four modern commentaries that are insisting that Matthew 28, verse 19, with its longer reading in reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not trying to teach the doctrine of the Trinity. And these are modern scholars. Some of them are quite conservative. So in conclusion, we have observed that the evidence in favor of the original reading of Matthew 28, verse 19, being, quote, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, end quote, is overwhelmingly strong. We first noted that scholars are in possession of at least seven 2nd century manuscripts of Matthew and many more 3rd century manuscripts. In none of these manuscripts is the baptism of Matthew 28, verse 19, described in the shortened form, that is, strictly in the name of Jesus. Skepticism over what early manuscripts might or might not have to say about the original reading of Matthew 28 and verse 19, as if the text was tampered with, is really unnecessary and unwarranted. Second, we received confirmation on the original reading of Matthew 28 and verse 19 with the early 2nd century document known as the Didache, written between 20 and 40 years after Matthew's Gospel was composed. In the Didache's chapter on baptismal instructions, the reference to Matthew 28 and verse 19's baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is quoted verbatim from Matthew's Greek. Furthermore, the Didache casually refers to baptism in the name of the Lord, just a few chapters later, demonstrating that it can both cite Matthew 28, verse 19, as well as depict Christian baptism 
in a much more abbreviated description, just as we observe in the summary speeches in the book of Acts. For the author of the Didache, there was no contradiction between the two ways of expressing water baptism, as they both could function harmoniously in its document. Third, the writings of Eusebius of Caesarea, contrary to popular thought, actually indicate that he too depicts baptism in two descriptions. One being the citation from Matthew 28 verse 19 and its reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and another in the abbreviated short form. Eusebius, like the Didache and the New Testament, was quite comfortable using both the full citation from Matthew and the summary depiction in Jesus' name. Lastly, we observe that modern scholars are not all confused about what the reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit refer to in Matthew 28 verse 19. It seems that most modern scholars writing commentaries on Matthew these days are quite upfront that mentioning the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not an indication that Matthew believed in the doctrine of the Trinity, which, by the way, is a doctrine that we know was not even in existence until 381 AD, 300 years after Matthew was composed. How then should biblical Unitarians understand and apply Matthew 28 verse 19 upon accepting that its original reading did indeed refer to baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? My suggestion would be to regard the ritual of water baptism as an initiation rite that brings the believer into solidarity with God as the Father, into solidarity with Jesus as the Messianic Son of the only true God, and into solidarity with a new life in the Spirit that is characterized by the reign of God having broken into the present. Paul makes a similar comment with the three in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, without implying that those three make up some tripersonal God. So Matthew 28 verse 19 was never intended to be taught as a reference to a Trinitarian God. So the verse should not be ignored just because some readers choose to rip it out of context. Let's not throw Matthew 28 verse 19 out with the bathwater. If you would like to support the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, be sure to check out the episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to leave a comment if you'd like to start a discussion, and you can check us out on Facebook, where we commonly interact and dialogue about the contents of our episodes. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.